Lo, delighted to be talking to you today. And you are joining us from somewhere out the side of the UK, where uh, I guess it's not quite as warm as it is here in the UK today. But where are you calling in from? Hey, Matthew. Yeah, I'm phoning in from Cape Town. Normally sunny Cape Town, but today I guess it's a few degrees colder than what you'll get in the UK. So I'm freezing on this side. Yeah, it's funny. I think you said it was 14 degrees uh, centigrade, uh, which is 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Here in the UK, we're at 15 degrees in summer and it feels really warm. So it's all relative. Love uh, Cape Town and South Africa. It's a lovely place to be based. But of course, you're working a lot outside of South Africa and in the UK as well, aren't you? We spend quite a lot of time in the UK these days as part of our expansion plans, but I guess we'll dive into that a bit later. Good morning, good evening. Matthew Grant here, CEO of Instec and your host for the podcast. Well, a great milestone for us this week. We are on to our 250th episode of the Instec podcast. And rather neatly, our first episode ever was launched on the 17th of June, 2017. So that means we've been talking for six years. Well, in the next couple of weeks, we'll also have reached quarter of a million downloads. Well, many thanks if you're one of our regular listeners or if this is your first episode, welcome. And if you like this, we've got some great guests in our back catalogue for you to discover. Today, I'm talking to Lo Hopley, co-founder of Root.za. Now, we love all our podcast guests, but I have a real soft spot for the founders, particularly those companies that have survived the early years and have real clients and revenue. You're going to be hearing about how Lo and co-founder Jonathan met and why they decided to build a company offering technology for supporting embedded insurance. We discover why South Africa is such a great place to build a company and what Lo and his colleagues are up to in the UK. Well, hang in there to the end to find out what we're up to at Instec these days or go direct to www.instec.co. So let's just talk a little bit about Root Platform. So you are a platform, as implied in the name, and also rely on APIs and your clients rely on APIs used by insurers, MGAs, brokers, and others. And you're building and launching and managing digital insurance products and embedded experiences, as you said, both in South Africa and in the UK currently just now. company was founded back in 2016. You had a pivot early on. We're going to talk a bit about it in a minute. Lo, you're a co-founder and you yourself have started off your career in software development. So delighted to have you as a member of Instec and, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to talk a bit about the business in a moment, but just for you, first of all, I know you yourself, a bit of an entrepreneur, you started off launching apps in the app store. I'd love to hear a bit more about how that worked out. Oh, that's a it's one of my favorite stories back in the day. So I'm a software engineer, got an electronic engineering degree uh, that I studied at Stellenbosch University in, down in South Africa. But I've always seen software as a means to an end, as an ability to kind of solve problems out there. And maybe the age of 16 or so, I started building apps for the Apple App Store. My first app out was essentially a microphone. It turns your iPhone into a microphone. You plug it into a speaker system, press a big button. It only had one button, and then your phone becomes a microphone. So if you're at a wedding or somewhere, you can actually make a very easily just plug in and, and make a speech right there. That was a lot of fun. It actually ended up making a hell of a lot of money in relative terms for a student. And that kind of fueled my expeditions going onward. Is that still available on the App Store in some form? Sounds like quite a handy thing to have. It lasted for maybe six or seven years or so, but then it got ripped off by some Chinese app house who just copies all the apps that work on the App Store. And then since then, everybody released free versions. So you'll still get versions of it, but not mine. Okay, a lesson for us all. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about Root. And we should just, I guess it's kind of be obvious pretty quickly, but you're a very different organization from Root that people will know in the US for their motor offering. But what is the problem that you're solving for insurance companies? So basically, firstly, Root, we've built to be the easiest way to launch and manage digital 
and embedded insurance offerings. And we take quite a developer-first approach to insurance. So we're not founded by insurance people, which gives us an outside perspective to the industry and brings a lot of depth in terms of technology and solving enterprise-grade problems. We've got a platform, it's super flexible, it's proven at scale, it currently runs about a million policies, active policies of 55 different products, short-term, PNC, life insurance across the range. But all of that kind of toolkit, I guess you can see it as Lego blocks that you can use to assemble and get a product ready to launch in the market in record time. It's very API focused and it's also low code powered. So you've got full open-ended flexibility so that you never kind of get caught up in edge cases when building or launching a product. But that's essentially what we do. We help companies get products to market. A million individual policies sounds pretty impressive. How does that actually build up in practice across different clients you've got? Yeah, you've heard right. It's a million policies. We come across a lot of companies that built up substantial businesses selling insurance based on the credit products that they provide in the market. So they might be giving short-term credit or unsecured credit in certain ways, whether it's selling goods in store and retail stores, and then they bundle insurance onto that or into that. And as part of helping them do new things, they also migrate those businesses over to our platform. We work a lot with big national retailers that have got footprints of thousands of branches across, um, let's say, South Africa. Those guys have massive reach. They're sitting of client bases in the order of about 10 million each. So with that, they get to sell loads of policies. We'll talk more about the application in a minute, but I just want to come back to back in 2016 when you started the company off. What was it that gave the, you and Jonathan, your co-founder, the motivation to start the business? Because you said you, you came from outside of insurance. It's always intriguing for people that have discovered insurance and decided this is a place to build a business or build a career, having not known it before. We started with the kind of intention to help software developers like ourselves to break down barriers, to package complex, hard things in regulated industries to make it easier for them to kind of reassemble and build value for customers. We actually started doing that for banking. So we managed to launch a programmable bank in South Africa for software developers that had APIs and all the wonderful things. It was quite cool, went viral, a whole bunch of stuff. But in that process, I met Jonathan Stewart, my co-founder, and he was at Momentum Metropolitan overseeing strategy and figuring out what's the future of insurance looking like. And he had a thesis around unbundling of insurance. So big insurance incumbents got a lot of assets, got capital, claims expertise, pricing expertise, all the components that make up an insurer. How do you unbundle that and make it available to people that are innovating, that are trying to build and create new value for people in the market? And that resonated a lot with myself. So we started working together, started trying to figure out what is insurance truly what actually matters, what doesn't matter, what's kind of been built up and carried over the years in insurance that actually is just in the way of making progress. So we try to like trim and cut and simplify things a lot. It's been from there an iterative journey, kind of discovering and figuring out the nuances and essentially packaging that in a way that's easy to consume. Yeah, you know, one thing that always fascinates me is how co-founders meet. You mentioned you met Jonathan, but also at what point do you get when you say, I like you and trust you enough to actually want to build a business with you. <laughs> yeah, we come from very different backgrounds. But funny enough, Jonathan did study some computer science classes when he did his um, degree as well. Jonathan's got a long career in financial services. He was in the investment sector, essentially. And he, over time, found his way into the big insurance company, Momentum Metropolitan. Whereas I'm an engineer, been building tech in the startup scene. So it's quite split there. But Jonathan did spend his last few years at, when he was still at the big insurer on 
being very involved in venture capital. So he, him and his um, colleagues were investing funds as a limited partner into a bunch of short tech venture capital firms. One is 40i Capital in Cape Town, and then the other one is Anthemus in the UK. It's through 40i Capital that we know in Cape Town, I managed to meet Jonathan when he was you know, he's an LP there. So we managed to just cross paths and share notes. And then over time, we realized, hey, this is interesting. So we just started doing experiments. I think Jonathan kind of shifted his focus, helping me figure out insurance things at root for maybe, I can't remember if it was six months or a year, while still working at, at Momentum Metropolitan before actually jumping ship and joining Root. So in terms of your question of how do you know that it's the right time? Like you just spend time together, build stuff together, solve hard problems together, run into friction together, and then you kind of figure it out. And then, and yeah, and that's, I think, where we figured out it works really well. Yeah, you sort of try before you buy or uh, it was almost like analogy to married <laughs> life you kind of date each other for a bit i mean i definitely heard a few other people doing that and you mentioned lps in there so people who are just not familiar that's limited partnership which relates to people or companies in, involved in investments and then i also want to talk about your first client because i'm assuming that when you built the business you were looking for that first client to validate what you're doing so where did it start we actually started Focusing on startups, we took Stripe Atlas in the US, which helps companies incorporate as a bit of a role model of going from zero to one or getting up and running as a thing we want to accomplish in insurance. We actually, in, in our early days, helped a whole bunch of startups launch. They had ideas. We helped them find reinsurers, reinsurance for the products. And that actually, we learned very quickly that firstly, it's a lot of friction and pain to do that, but also small startups struggle to get off the ground. Like they take so much effort to just get live that by the time they're live, they forgot they also need to figure out marketing and all the customer acquisition side of things, which is ultimately where the rubber hits the road. So in that process, we built up a very great partnership with a company in insurance South Africa called Cardrisk. They underwrite a lot of retail and banks and telcos in, in the South African market, as well as some others in Africa. And with them, we connected up with some of their clients to learn what their pains are, some of their enterprise clients. And very quickly learned that the same pain and friction that a small two-person or three-person startup faces to launch an insurance product to market is faced by a big incumbent that's got 30,000 employees and customer base of about 10 million people. They've got exactly the same pain, except they've got massive distribution solved and they've got obviously money to back whatever they're doing. Um, so that's when we shifted. And that's when our first real client came on board. It was maybe 2019. It was a big retailer in South Africa called Mr. Price. And Mr. Price came to us to help them kind of fuel and get their insurance strategy online, which was about launching new products, opening up new premium collection models or methods for their products, getting their products distributed in a whole bunch of different ways, because they used to only sell over call centers. And then they wanted to go into things like having tablets in the stores, bundling it into other digital goods that they're selling or embedding it into that, selling through their e-commerce store, all of those type of things. And that's where Root came in. And that was our first we call it our lighthouse customer in South Africa that that helped us kind of get to scale and then you know, get the flywheel running from there. And then I'd be interested in South Africa, what is the startup scene like there? Is that a conducive environment to be starting up a new business when you started off in 2016? Yeah, I would say I've learned a lot in the last six, seven years of building Root in terms of how I would answer that. So six years ago, I would have given it a very different answer. I think it's firstly a very great market for many reasons, but however it is, smaller and it's much more generalized or general than what you'd find in the UK. So where in the UK or, or the US much more even, I think the market's big enough for people to specialize and go very deep on a vertical versus in South Africa, you have to go broad very quickly to kind of solve for 
broader problems just because there's not enough space for many players. In terms of other things like venture capital, very, how can I put it, nascent relative to, let's say, the UK or obviously to the US market. So there's not a lot of players and there's not a lot of good players from the investment side either that can help companies get off the ground and build the scale they want to scale. But if you focus a product on the local market, I think it's this massive opportunity. And we can see it, like companies start left, right and center and they build massive businesses. And then the other thing compared to the UK for us as root and where that matters is we found solving insurance in the South African market forced us to solve many problems. And going to the UK, most of our competitors are very niche and solve only like a very singular problem. And our type of clients, especially affinity and branded clients that are trying to embed and sell insurance, they then care about what regulations sit behind it. They don't know the difference between, say, life insurance and general insurance and PNC and the regulation differences. They understand their customers and they want to provide value for their customers. And our platform and our approach to solving problems cater for that really well versus what we found a lot of our competitors run into kind of issues where they're very good at motor insurance or they're very good at, say, travel insurance, but they can't do any of the other things. I think something to our advantage that we originally thought was going to be a disadvantage, but it's working out quite well for us. Yeah, it's like, it reminds me of the Jack Dorsey quote about Twitter, which is constraints cause creativity, I think he says, in a sense that when you, you can't do certain things, it forces you to do the things you think you can't do more efficiently that you can then scale into the, into bigger areas. That quote is a very deep thing I value a lot in the way we build APIs in our low-code environment. It's all about that. You need to have it open-ended and flexible, but you need to give constraints so people can actually start, they can actually be creative if you draw lines around what they can't do. There's a whole separate philosophy we could go into around that. I think in all parts of our lives, we have a risk of overcomplicating things and we need to force ourselves to simplicity. One more thing about the, the sort of South African environment. Does it help you with regards to engineers and coding? Are you able to access talent out there? Absolutely. That's maybe one of our, call it hidden advantages in, in this market. And, and having been in software engineering for quite a while, I would say, and operating in the States as in Silicon Valley myself, South African engineering talent is insanely good. Like they're definitely on the same level. They're like on a world-class level. But the cost of living in South Africa is a lot lower. So you, you manage to get really great talent without having to pay what people in Silicon Valley pays or in London pays. But the team can have a much better lifestyle. So that's a big advantage for us is the cost arbitrage in, in building a team versus in, in South Africa versus in a, in a place like London or Silicon Valley or New York. And, and do you have your equivalent of the the Silicon Valley or Silicon Roundabout, if you're in uh, in London, is there a kind of cluster of, of tech companies in different cities in South Africa? Yeah, I would just say Cape Town. Cape Town's small enough that it's um, there is neighborhoods in Cape Town, but the tech companies are split throughout. Most tech startups in South Africa runs in Cape Town, and then there's a lot of international companies that also set up office in Cape Town. Like Amazon's got an AWS office that attracts like thousands of engineers in, in Cape Town as well. Well, it makes sense. You can code in the morning and be on the beach in the afternoon, back to your point about the, uh, the quality <laughs> of life. It's kind of hard to do that in, that in London. And then you, you touched on this a little bit with your APIs, but I'd be interested from your perspective as a developer, what are kind of some of the challenges that you see when people are building these types of platforms that you, you've been overcoming a little bit back to your point about, I think, scalability and sort of look across different applications or different uh, lines of business? In terms of APIs, APIs is this like mythical word that developers understand really well and other people kind of try and figure out a way to, to understand what it means, application programming interfaces, basically the way for systems to talk to each other. So in insurance, what's been happening is a lot of companies that have been running, call it incumbent systems, big at scale systems over the years have tried to 
progress into this modern cloud world by adding APIs on top of their existing systems. However, these existing systems, the core systems, haven't been designed for the cloud. It hasn't been designed for real time. It hasn't been designed for being fully extendable and accessible across all the pieces of that system. And that means that there's a lot of, like I would call it almost false promises or misleading happening where everybody has an API, but the quality of those APIs actually matter. It's actually the quality of the thing behind that that sets it apart. And something we've identified there is the developer experience of APIs are a fundamentally important part that most companies miss. And that's, that's basically saying you've got APIs, let's say Lego blocks, these things that you can build stuff with. But if the user of it doesn't know how it works, or they don't know how to put it together, or they don't know what's possible and what's not possible with it, then it's almost impossible to use, which is a bit different to Lego, where you can just like build anything and have fun. It is insurance. You have to conform to some rules and, and criteria. Um, so a lot of APIs are very difficult to use. It's not real time. We've had, I think the norm I've seen out there is that a quoting endpoint API takes like 30 seconds to generate a quote. That's absolutely ridiculous. Imagine going on Facebook and when you're opening your feed or Twitter, it takes 30 seconds to load. Like that is not acceptable in today's day and age. Like you expect when you open it, it should just work. It should just give you an answer. That's the type of things I see a lot of in, in the industry is, is people miss that point. And then also, yeah, the whole consumability of it. And then the other one is that APIs are very often constrained to that specific product. Let's say it's a travel insurance platform, travel insurance product, and the APIs work for that. But the moment you're trying to go beyond travel insurance or you're trying to go deeper in the travel insurance, like you're allowing customers to make amendments or change their payment details or add another cover holder or cancel the policy, quite frankly, APIs for those things typically don't exist. So if a company is trying to build an app or they're trying to build it into their their existing app, for example, to have all of that self-help functionality available, most APIs just don't allow for that, or at least not in, a, in an easy or good way. So that's where kind of our philosophy is. Developers, we take a developer-first approach going, what would make it super easy for a software developer at either a big retailer or a digital platform or a, or even the underwriter themselves? How do we make it as easy as possible for them to consume and get up and running and, and use it even at scale? As you're talking about that, it's occurred to me that we use the term API. Most people understand the concept. They probably wouldn't all be able to spell it out. So thank you for spelling out the acronym to remind us what it means. But actually, if you were to create a mental image for people of what an API actually looks like, I think I know, but I'm not going to risk being wrong. What actually is it? When you people use an API or you, you know, develop an access as an API, what are they actually getting? So is there a way you can explain what it is for people who might be familiar with the term, but actually just don't really know what it is? My favorite layman's analogy is, if you think of power adapters, you're traveling abroad between the States and the UK, for example, then you need to get one of those world travel adapters or something that converts from the one format or, or call it plug to the other one. Because without that, two things then plug into each other. So if you think of technical systems, the phone charger and then the other one, the, the power outlet and the wall, they're not compatible by default. You need to get some sort of thing that plugs them together. And that's kind of what an API does. It's for those systems to talk to each other. What it practically means, though, is an API, on a high level, it's the way for systems to talk into each other. But in the detail, it's essentially all the actions that you can do on that system, enabling another system to do that. So the way I normally visualize it for myself is if you look at, it, let's say, a web portal, a tool that you log into, maybe it's a policy administration system, maybe it's Facebook or Twitter. And let's, let's use Twitter as an example. When you click, firstly, if your feed loads, 
there's an API endpoint that fetches all the tweets that should show on your screen. The moment you want to post the tweet, you click that blue button to draft your post. And the moment you click post, your phone takes that message that you just typed and passes it to a specific API endpoint at Twitter to say, please post this thing. And then the Twitter machine does its thing. And then it sends a request, an API request back to your phone, which basically says, please update your feed. There's a new tweet. And then the new tweet loads. Um, that's essentially what it does. In insurance, you're looking at the obvious endpoint is always the quote endpoint. So you pass it some parameters, age, gender, maybe it's motor vehicle details, and the API returns a quote or a premium value, or maybe some exclusions if it's in the life insurance side typically. That's the one endpoint. That's like a, an obvious one. But then you've got the next endpoint, which is issuing that policy. You've got a quote. Now you need to capture customer details and issue a policy. That's just maybe a second one. Yeah, add payment details. That's another API endpoint. Maybe it's car details. Maybe it's direct debit bank details. And then you go down the chain of amendments, adjustments, cancellations, editing customer details. And suddenly, you're sitting with a whole menu of things that a system needs to tell the other system to do. And last time I checked on Root, we were sitting on something like 500 API endpoints, of which getting a quote is just one. And that's how much it takes to run an insurance product. There's a lot of small actions that you can do on a product. So I've also heard analogy of the way that it used to work in the old days of buying stocks, where somebody would phone a trader. Is that the risk of overdoing the analogies for APIs? But is that another way of thinking about how an API might work? Yeah, certainly. I think APIs are essentially you send information one way in a certain format and you get a response back. So if you take the trader back at the trading desk and maybe in the olden days, you'd pick up your phone, give him instructions, please buy this stock for this price, put on some sort of buy order. They'll say, okay, they'll put down the phone. Then they'll do things behind the scenes. That machine does it. And then when they're done, they'll maybe pick up the phone, phone you back and just say, it's done or it couldn't be done. So it's a very clear predefined instruction that you send and on the other side, a certain action then happens based on that instruction. So I think it's a good analogy. Great. Well, that was, that was really helpful. A little bit of a tangent, but uh, very helpful nonetheless. Now that we talk about APIs, the other thing, of course, everybody's talking about just now, and I think quite rightly, is generative AI or large language models, more popularly known to most people as chat GPT just now. I've been treated by hearing how developers are starting to use these tools to actually write code themselves. Is that something that you're seeing, but actually maybe even starting to do at root? Definitely. I think it helps augment people quite a lot. So we use it in our team across, in our engineering team, but also in some of our other teams. It's insanely well to help articulate and write things very quickly. So if you want to like write a letter or a blog post, you just put down bullet points, it gives you some feedback on that. But on the coding side as well, it, it helps people write code and debug code a lot faster. So if you've got something that doesn't work, instead of going on the internet and Googling and searching what's going on, you literally just copy paste your stuff and ask it what's going on. And it'll give you a full analysis and, and how to fix it. So also tools built into the code editors these days that make, make it even more seamless. And then a fun thing we've been doing at Root, which is maybe worth sharing is, so products on Root, the insurance products are defined in low code. And because all these large language models are really good with code, we actually found that they're quite good with the products on our platform as well. So we've been playing with creating, call it guide rails, so that you can ask the AI or, or ask the bot essentially to build your product. So you say, hey, I want a travel insurance product, and it should have these five parameters. And using pre-learned other products that we've used to, to train it and other template products, then it can automatically generate a starting point for you, like a starter template based on your input criteria. So that is actually quite powerful and quite a fun thing for that. The only caveat I found is it's 
never rely on, a, on facts being generated by the models. You know, they're not factually correct. You have to cross-check things like that. Yeah, the great hallucinations of the tools that they yeah they're sort of like an enthusiastic teenager they they want to give you the, an answer even if it's not the right answer but and they're confident and they, exactly well that, no not just that they're not as confident i've actually seen them make up press releases to support the case i mean the whole thing is just fiction so it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out but but i'm really intrigued by that that use case you said of actually creating the the new application or the new insurance product on the one hand and then you link that with the ability to code and test the code you can test stand up these products you can even i suppose go to the point of you know, testing out the distribution to see if there's actually an appetite in the market for them much more cheaply than could have been done before if, if back to some of your points about how you're building the the technology to enable particularly for embedded insurance uh, retailers and others to be able to do that yeah certainly no, there's definitely an interesting technology and i think it's going to just get better and people are going to figure out where it's the most useful to kind of use it but then then you come to the question though your clients and insurance organizations, and I suspect many of them are business users, not just CTOs or people who've got technology background themselves. How do you bring them with you as you, you learn what their needs are, but also show them what you're building for them and, and get feedback on it? Because that's always a challenge when you're starting off with a project like this. No one quite knows what they want until they've seen it. So what, what tools have you got or what techniques have you found to help make life easier for insurers? You've articulated it quite well. They normally just don't know what they really want or what it will take to get what they want. So we take quite a like deep partnership approach where our clients are typically a business user of sort. That's someone that heads up innovation or someone, some commercial director that's trying to like increase revenue. And, and then we help the tech crowd solve the tech problems on that side. So we don't normally enter through the tech, like through the CTO or so, but we do appreciate their impact or the type of decisions they need to make. What we do then is we, we go quite deep. So we would typically help our clients figure out and coordinate and orchestrate all the things. If you're working with affinity or embedded insurance, partner-based insurance, you, you typically have multiple parties involved in the value chain that needs to play together to get a product to market. And we specialize in that. So we help the underwriters speak tech or we speak tech on their behalf. We help the retailer or, or digital platform speak insurance or engage insurance on their behalf. We kind of bring everybody in a room together and, and solve that. But it does mean being on top of the insurance product, it means being on top of the, the technical landscape, of the compliance landscape. We don't get involved with the marketing side of things, so the actual distribution is then in their hands. But getting set up so that they can go fuel their distribution engines, that's that's where we play. So there's, there's a lot of pieces that need to fit together. That all makes sense, but what happens with the companies you're working with in the UK? I mean, the time difference or the time zones with South Africa are pretty similar, but the obviously it's a long way away. So how, how do you work with your clients that are based the other side of the world when you're building these types of solutions and, and engaging with them? So in the UK, it's quite easy. The time zones are roughly the same to South Africa, and it's also a quick, a quick 11-hour flight between the two. We do value having people on the ground. So we would, when dealing with a client, we'll send our team, the, the relevant team members that's involved in projects, to, to again, go build relationships and, and strengthen the partnership of our clients. And... That happens wherever it is in the world. That being said, we've also managed to launch multiple enterprise clients purely remotely without ever meeting them in person. One was during COVID travel restrictions. And we've got a great client in Mauritius, actually, and we managed to to get them up and running because they were under time constraints to migrate their business to a modern platform. We helped them do that and also very fast time without ever meeting them in person. And what about right up front when you've got somebody that's interested? So somebody listening now goes, well, I'd really like to learn more about Root. How do you sort of bring it to life for them right from the very beginning as to, as to what you can do? 
So we take a very transparent approach to helping people. So first thing I'd say is if someone's interested, even just to understand what it could mean in their business, just get in touch with us. Uh, reach out on our website, rootplatform.com. Have a chat. We might not be the right platform for you. We'll tell you that. We might not be able to help you. But if we can, we'll, we'll help you figure out how you can set yourself up best for success. And we don't charge for those type of consultations. So I would say just, just get in touch and we can show you the platform. We can demo and figure out where to do from there. Great. And of course, we're also happy to make direct connections as well, though, so they can, they can fast track. And I'm, I'm sure you're very fast with responding on the website. Uh, and, and we've been delighted to have you as a member of Instec. And you know, we know any business that's growing in early stage or everybody these days is really careful how they're spending their money. Uh, I'd love to hear just what it was for you and Jonathan that led to you deciding to get involved with this. Yeah, it's very, very easy for me. It's like, for us, it's our game is all about partnerships and network and connections. And Instec by far is like super well connected, well respected in the industry and, and broad reach. So for us, that was like a great way to help open doors. And since then, it, yeah, just want to say thanks. Instec definitely is helping us um, open doors and the services top notch. So we're not regretting it at any point. So thank you very much for your, your support. It, it works both ways. We're pretty selective these days who we work with, and you and Jonathan, your colleagues, are a real pleasure to work with. One thing I'm also always very intrigued by is other people that we should be talking to on the podcast or elsewhere. So is there anyone that you've come across that you you would think would be a great guest for us or we should talk to in some other capacity? There's one guy I would suggest chatting to. His name's Theo Grobler from a company called 23Bird. And in terms of embedded and digital insurance, they've actually been building quite a successful business doing bicycle insurance across the world in multiple countries, powering very big brands like Strava. And you can go check it up. The other clients they have. I would be very interested to learn from him how they've been tackling embedded insurance and, and working with these big partners. Great. Well, Theo, if you're a listener to the Instep podcast, watch out. You might be, uh, we might be coming to you very, very soon. I do remember actually my, my times in South Africa, one of my clear memories is actually people cycling because you've got a great environment for cyclists. And then finally, Lo, if there's one thing that you want people to remember from our discussion, and if anyone asks them, well, what are Matthew and Lo talking about? What, what above all else should they remember about Root Platform? If they could take one thing away, I would say Root is one of the most flexible platforms to launch embedded and digital insurance products on fast. Well, we certainly touched on that. Lo, I know you've got a lot going on. You're probably not going to rush off to the beach quite yet, but it's coming up for the weekend. So I'm sure you've got some plans outdoors down in Cape Town. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for your support. And well, I look forward to seeing you face-to-face in London. Or hey, maybe I'll get a chance to come down to South Africa again and see you down there as well. Let's find an excuse to do that. But thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate it. Well, we're delighted to have Root as one of our Instep members. Now, we've been working with over 200 companies in the last year, helping insurers understand more about the emerging themes in technology, data, and analytics, and to find out which companies are active in providing solutions around the world. Now, we're also helping many technology companies get their story out into the world and find new clients. So if you're interested in learning more, contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn, or any of us, hello, at instep.co. That's it. We're done.